Gamble on, fellas. Gamble on. <laughs> to Gamble On, the weekly gambling podcast presented by usbets.com. I'm Eric Raskin, U.S. Bets Managing Editor and Media Director, and I'm joined by our senior analyst, Pulitzer Prize finalist, John Brennan. And we're coming to you early this week, as we do every year on Thanksgiving week, because we will be off on Thursday, and I will no doubt be watching for about the 30th time the greatest Thanksgiving movie ever made, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. <laughs> it's also my favorite Steve Martin movie, although it's close. He has a lot of good ones. Uh, I'm going to steal a bit from Cousin Sal's podcast and set some silly odds. You tell me what you're betting on, John, for best Steve Martin movie. I have Planes, Trains, and Automobiles as the favorite at plus 150, The Jerk plus 300, Parenthood plus 400, The Man with Two Brains plus 500, or you can take The Field at plus 200. Where's your money going, John? Uh, Eric, I don't want to live in a world where PTNA, wait, that's an unfortunate acronym that takes me back to being a teenager and watching primetime television in the 1970s, <laughs> doesn't win. Um, I've, I've seen parts of The Jerk, Meh, and Parenthood, Pablum, and I've never seen any movie with two brains in its title. So, uh, you know, Steve Martin is a brilliant person that I usually only like in small doses, but only in, well, PTNA, have I seen him go across the entire spectrum? Uh, I think I've read that he's was been good in some more serious roles, but to me, that's not his wheelhouse. So I, I go with planes and trains, and then uh, the field uh, might have a better shot than I want to admit. Okay. Yeah, I, I can't disagree uh, with any of that. Obviously, I'm, I'm with you on uh, PT and A. Um, I believe it was two Thanksgivings ago that my kids watched Planes, Trains, and Automobiles for the first time, and my in-laws were over. Uh, my kids would have been 11 and 9 at the time, if I'm yeah. right about which year that this happened. And I got some nasty glances from my mother-in-law during yeah. the scene where Steve yeah. Martin chews out the lady at the rental car place and drops yes. about 20 F-bombs. Yeah, <laughs> yeah this yeah, is that one. It sounds like you're, you, were, you were fucked after that one. <laughs> Maybe so, but uh, you know, my my kids are a little a little older now, and we've been watching some good movies lately. We did uh, we did Tootsie last week. Uh, mm-hmm. My son and I watched Alien on Monday night. Uh-huh. Uh, so I think a Steve Martin film festival is definitely in order soon. I'm more of a fan of his whole catalog, it sounds like, than you yeah. are. Although I'll be curious to see how well some of them hold up. The Man with Two Brains is an example of a movie I loved as a kid. I have no idea if it's actually any good. Interesting. I'm never going to see it, so let me know. <laughs> okay, but uh, you know, in this year in which we're uh, we're all under some uh, duress as to whether we can or cannot spend Thanksgiving with with family, and we have to make some hard decisions on that front, I say, who needs to spend Thanksgiving with family when you can spend it with Steve Martin and John Candy, right? Uh, yeah, I, I think I think that movie will be a little more poignant if possible this yeah. year than ever yeah all right well thank you to everyone for spending a little bit of your thanksgiving week with me and john and joining us for episode number 119 of gamble on if you missed any of our previous 118 episodes you can gobble gobble them up on soundcloud apple Podcasts, <laughs> or spotify please subscribe rate and review if you haven't already yeah, and coming up a little later in the show, we're going to be joined by our colleague Gary Rothstein. He writes primarily for U.S. Bet's sister site, penbets.com, P-E-N-N-B-E-T-S.com, that is. Uh, we'll talk to Gary about a new mini casino that just opened near Pittsburgh, how soon he expects neighboring Ohio to legalize sports wagering, and whether his Steelers can go 16-0. But first, it's been a, well, a short week in the world of gambling, so let's get to it. 
Here's your Gamble On News of the Week, an inside look at the biggest stories in the world of gambling. Even though it is, as John just said, a shortened podcasting week, uh, we do have a few news stories worth covering, and we start with a follow-up to two stories we've been covering the last couple of weeks, casino closings and October revenue. And for both, we're focusing this week on Nevada. On Sunday, Governor Steve Sisolak, who is COVID positive, uh, held a virtual press conference to announce new restrictions in the state. And the notable one for casinos is a drop from 50% capacity limits to 25%, putting Las Vegas on even footing with Atlantic City. Sisolak said he doesn't want to have to shut casinos and other businesses down entirely, but if COVID numbers don't start to improve in the next three weeks, he might have to take more drastic steps. The other Nevada news is that October revenue is in, and while overall gaming revenue is way, way down year over year, as you'd expect... Sports betting handle keeps climbing from $575 million in September to a new Nevada record $659.2 million in October, up more than 20% compared to October 2019. So much for legalizing sports betting in other states hurting sports betting in Nevada. Uh, Nevada ranks number two in the country still for sports betting behind New Jersey, but ahead of Pennsylvania, and this increase effectively guarantees that sports betting will surpass $3 billion in October handle nationally. It's tracking toward probably about $3.2 billion. John, any comment on that big betting handle figure? And what's your guess as to whether Sisolak is going to be announcing more severe restrictions three weeks or so from now? Yeah, you know, I was one of those people going back five or six years uh, who did wonder if some whales from the New York City area would cut back on travel to Las Vegas if New Jersey and Atlantic City specifically, for those who wanted the in-person experience, uh, would become a legal alternative. Uh, I wasn't convinced of that, but I thought it was a real possibility. But now in the COVID-19 era, Vegas sports betting business is still booming. And I'm skeptical that many whales used to fly first class from LaGuardia to Vegas and back every other weekend are still doing that. Um, so how does the number go up so much? I'm not sure. Although some of the whales may have just moved there ahead of the Northeast winter months. I don't know. Um, that takes me to what does the Nevada governor do, which is the really important one. Yeah. Uh, I want to bet on the weather being a savior there. My very amateur scientific expertise has a good vibe for outdoor dining and a really bad one for indoor. Um, but wait, I, I went the extra mile here. I checked the 10-day Vegas forecast now. Uh, highs in the low 60s every day and no chance of rain. You know, I remember on my 1990s NBA short road trips in the winter, getting just that weather a couple times, maybe in Oakland or Atlanta or Orlando, someplace like that. And I basked outside like a turtle on a log for an hour. You know, <laughs> I thought it was great. Uh, but I fear Vegas residents, you know, with the thinner blood uh, will find even, you know, 62 as a high a little bit daunting, especially if, God forbid, there's a slight breeze, you know. So that puts me back on the fence as to whether they're going to be OK or not. But a complete Las Vegas Strip shutdown, uh, I I can't see it. I mean, how about appointment-only gambling with very high minimums and every whale gets a daily test? I mean, I think they'll resort to something like that in the worst-case scenario rather than shut it down again. Right. Um, so I'll, I'll before I get to the COVID stuff, I'll just quickly say the, about the sports betting numbers. Uh, should note that mobile betting accounted for 57.1% of the handle, right. which is extremely low compared to any other state that has – both land-based and mobile options, Nevada still has that in-person registration requirement. And so you can see the impact of it in that number. It makes you wonder if Nevada dropped that, 
it might still be a tight race every month between Nevada and New Jersey for the top sports betting state. Um, but yeah, the, the COVID situation is the, the main thing to talk about here. And there are just no easy solutions in an industry that depends so heavily on social interactions, you know, parties, nightclubs, restaurants, getting drunk and gambling, etc. Vegas yeah. will suffer enormously no matter what you do until there's a vaccine that a majority of people have access to. And even then, I think the town will continue to suffer somewhat for a while as there will probably be some degree of, of mask rules and social distancing measures that make Vegas not quite feel like Vegas. So, you know, I think a reduction to 25% on casino floors is a good step. But, you know, Sisolak describing that as aggressive, that, that's a pretty big reach to me. These still aren't aggressive steps that he's taking. Uh, but he's trying to serve both masters, you know, from, from those who basically say we have to live our lives and ignore COVID and what matters most is the economy to those who want to go into a total lockdown for a month or two to get the numbers under control. So... He, he he can't really win. Uh, I definitely wouldn't term what he's doing aggressive, but he's doing something. And I, I think at this point he has to at least start doing something. I tend to agree with you that a full Vegas shutdown uh, is unlikely. It's just a total last resort if, if Vegas becomes like the epicenter of a viral spread. Yeah, I, I think the big problem is, you know, for any of us who've been to Las Vegas and aren't, uh, uh, you know, still uh, uh, tripping the light fantastic, as they used to say, you know, you go down at 10 a.m. to the general store or whatever to grab something, and there are plenty of people wandering around, you know, with these, uh, you know, uh, yards of beer or God mm -hmm. knows what, margaritas or whatever, and <laughs> right. it's just like they go there, there is no reality. They just, It's just completely some bizarre fantasy world, you know, uh, forget your troubles and all that. And yeah, I agree with the suffering in the sense that even if it's fairly safe in the spring or the summer, and maybe there's still mask requirements. Like if you're walking around with a mask, that doesn't, that feels, that's real, mm -hmm. you know, and that's smart, but nobody goes to Las Vegas to get smart. So I, I do worry about them, you know, for much of 2021. Yeah. Um, and I, I'll note that five strip casinos now have, have done the closed from Monday to Thursday thing, uh, yeah. that they're only open on weekends, um, which, you know, it's obviously bad for the employment levels or the employees specifically, uh, even if the casinos are losing less money this way. Um, the other thing uh, that I want to just note is, is that apparently hotel rooms are incredibly cheap right now, understandably. Um, I'm not encouraging anyone to travel to Vegas, but if you're on a limited budget and you'd always wanted to stay in a fancy room at one of the upscale hotels, but you couldn't pay three or four or five hundred dollars a night for it. Apparently, some of the swankiest hotels in Vegas now cost like a hundred bucks or less a night. So do, do with that information what you will. Yeah, I once went to uh, Park City, Utah, and it was in September, and uh, I stayed at the um, the place where NBC, you know, Katie Couric and, every, and Al Roker uh, mm -hmm. uh, did the Olympic, uh, the Olympic Winter Olympics uh, filming, and in September it was like eighty nine bucks a night. Yeah, and this is a five hundred dollar night, you know, winter uh, wonderland type thing, and uh, Vegas is even cheaper. Of course, I didn't have any risks going there at the time, so. Right. Uh, but I, you know. There's nothing wrong with you mentioning it. Uh, you know, we'll we'll trust our subscribers to uh, do the right thing. There you go. If they're subscribing to this podcast, we know they're do the right thing kind of people. So. Absolutely. All right. Next story here. It's been a little while since we've talked about Massachusetts's prospects for legalizing sports betting, but we have some news to cover on that front this week. Unfortunately, it isn't good news. Last week, the Massachusetts State Senate rejected an amendment that could have legalized online and retail wagering. 
and it wasn't even put to a vote. The issue is not necessarily dead for the year yet, though, as the legislature is still in session, and some in the state have gone on the offensive, urging lawmakers to get moving. There was a scathing opinion piece in the Boston Herald on Sunday, and the likes of DraftKings, FanDuel, BetMGM, the Patriots, and the Red Sox came together to write a letter expressing their disappointment over the missed opportunity for various revenue streams. Uh, The group wrote, quote, We are urging you to pass sports betting legislation as part of the economic development bill currently in conference committee. Quite simply, Massachusetts can't afford to wait. This is a unique moment for the legislature to act to protect consumers, create jobs, and generate an estimated $500 million in direct annual tax revenue to the Commonwealth. Uh, John, any insight into what's going on in Massachusetts and any reason for optimism that something might happen there before the end of 2020? Well, you know, whenever I see the claim of huge numbers like that, I, I still grimace. Look, there are many reasons to support legal regulated sports betting. But as I've noted before, no state's going to come close to solving its budget woes just because they legalize and tax sports betting. That's just not the, the best way to go. Um, as for Massachusetts specifically, apparently Harvard, Boston College, and Boston University are working really hard to prevent betting on state university contests. That's what won the day in New Jersey and a couple other states, of course. Right. I wonder if the Bay State solution might be that very path. I mean, how much revenue are Massachusetts college games going to generate versus the Patriots, Red Sox, Celtics, and Bruins? And I suspect they have the same issue that New Jersey did, where there's so many Rutgers alumni in the legislature. Mm-hmm. Um, think about how many uh, alums are for those, just so those three schools alone. Yeah. And you have a lot of legislators who don't really care about this. I don't blame them. It's not the most important thing on their plate. It wasn't last year, and it sure as hell isn't in 2020. So I, I would think that might be the way to go. Just say, let's punt on that. We're not giving up that much revenue, and we'll get you know the vast majority of it anyway. And uh, that that's like a compromise to people who aren't legislators aren't really that in favor of it. So I think that's their best bet. I haven't read or seen anything that tells me that they've thought of that yet, but uh, that's free advice. Yeah, hopefully somebody's listening, uh, because I think that makes a lot of sense there. Um, When we talk to Gary Rothstein shortly, we're going to ask him about Ohio. Uh, These are the two states, Massachusetts and Ohio, that have a chance to do something this year, but are dragging their feet. In terms of neighboring states with online sports betting, Ohio is more or less surrounded at this point. Massachusetts, not quite yet. A a couple of smaller states, Rhode Island and New New Hampshire, they both have it. But Maine was about to have it, and it got vetoed. Uh, Connecticut has been inching along pretty slowly, just like Massachusetts. And, of course, New York doesn't have mobile and probably won't anytime soon. Mm. It might happen before long in Massachusetts, but it kind of feels like Until Connecticut legalizes online sports betting, there might not be an overwhelming enough feeling for Massachusetts lawmakers that they need to spring into action and keep up. Um, But, you know, this this would certainly be a big one. Uh, Boston folks like their sports, uh, I've heard. So, you know, Massachusetts is the biggest Northeast domino left to fall other than New York adopting mobile. Yeah, it's got to be tough if you're a DraftKings lobbyist. I mean, (laughs) that's their home state, the home game. You got to win that one. You, yep. you got to win it no matter what. And uh, it's kind of like the, you know, the, the powers that be, frankly, I got to be thinking, look, I don't care how it happens. I just want to hear that it happened. Yep. And if it doesn't happen, then it's not good. So they're yep. in a tough spot. Yep. All right. For our third and final story this week, I'll introduce the topic by reading you the headline of our colleague Brett Smiley's recent story on SportsHandle.com. 
why Bally's sports betting-minded deals are a much bigger deal than you think. Uh, the mobile sports book Bally's Bets is coming soon, expected to be the second quarter of 2021, and the company has made several deals in advance of that. There's a media deal with Sinclair Broadcast Group, an acquisition of Bet.Works, which will handle the tech and operation of the betting app, and acquisition of new properties in various states to provide additional market access. The parent company, Twin River, clearly believes in the Bally's brand, and the company is investing heavily in this crazy idea that there's money to be made in mobile sports betting. Uh, so having read Brett's article, what do you think, John? Are these Bally's maneuverings a big deal? Can that brand, which I personally associate with one of Atlantic City's least enticing casinos, be a player on the national stage? Yeah, well, first off, that article is a must-read for anyone in the U.S. gaming industry. There, there's so much to unpack there that that I didn't even understand. So, uh, I think the rest of us are in the same boat. Uh, I associate the Bally's brand with its 1980s-era workout gyms, as well as the most likely Atlantic City casino to close for most of the past 15 years, per industry insiders. Close quote. Um, yeah, so that doesn't seem great, but. It's a pretty well-known name, and uh, no one outside of maybe Rhode Island knows much about Twin River. So right. uh, I would have gone with a ballsy Bally's headline, I think, because <laughs> that's what this is. Um, I've chronicled a number of business deals at the level of this, you know, hundreds of millions and billions over the years, and I enjoy covering it. Um, just to say football fans uh, enjoy the product, but in almost all cases after age 25 or so, you have no interest in putting on a helmet. You know, uh, These big money plays also are not for the faint of heart, just like that. And I've noticed these deals never, ever, looking back 10 years later, seem to come out, that's kind of okay. They either soar to unbelievable heights or they come crashing to earth with uh, you know, corporate and personal bankruptcies all around. Yeah. Uh, not my style at all, but I sort of admire the big gamble in all its forms. Yeah, ballsy ballies indeed. I never uh, real, really thought about the fact that that is an anagram. Uh, but uh, <laughs> yeah. although, although I don't know what to do with the apostrophe once I change it yeah. to ballsy. But uh, yeah, the, the market access aspect of this is big. You know, Bally's owns casinos in 10 states, uh, including some important states for online sports betting, New Jersey, of course, but also Indiana and Colorado. So that's certainly a key feature here. Um, it's interesting. Smiley wrote about what what you mentioned at the top about how when people hear the name Bally's, they think of Bally's Total Fitness and the old commercials for it. Um, I don't personally make that association first, uh, as I said already. To me, uh, I think of uh, sort of a meh casino and uh, to me a sort of a, an outdated casino brand. But, you know, it's never too late for a reinvention. And I have to say the name Bally's Bets does roll off the tongue. Um, it's it's a starting point. Uh, but, you know, the market's getting crowded everywhere. So while I think they're smart to invest in mobile sports betting, they have to be realistic about their market share. Like it would be a pretty big shocker if we look up in five years and it's DraftKings, FanDuel and Bally's Bets leading the way. I don't think uh, I don't think that's where we're headed here. Yeah, but I, Brett makes the really important point that th this marketplace is so enormous mm -hmm. and it's going to continue to get so enormous that you don't need to be one or two to come out a winner on this. Yep. It's time to welcome a special guest from the world of gambling. Let's get to the Gamble On interview. November 2020 will be remembered as a month in which we all got sick of hearing about the state of Pennsylvania and staring at maps of Pennsylvania and its various counties. 
But our guest right now doesn't have much choice. He can't tune out all Pennsylvania-related news as he covers the Pennsylvania gaming industry for a living. We now welcome back to the podcast the senior editor for PennBets.com and a contributor to U.S. Bets and our other sites as well, a former writer for the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, and the only member of our staff whose favorite NFL team is undefeated, Gary Rothstein. Gary, welcome back to Gamble On. Hey, thanks for having me. So we're recording this interview late in the day, Tuesday, and this morning you were at the grand opening of the live mini casino in Westmoreland County, the first mini casino to open in the state. Two questions. What were your impressions of the casino? And was the feel any different now as COVID concerns are rising again as compared to when you visited casinos over the summer? Uh, it's a nice place. Uh, they don't. They, the people who run it uh, from Cordish, uh, the Cordish companies, they actually don't like the term mini casino because they feel like it's that conveys less than what it is. And they have a point to an extent. Uh, it is literally smaller in that uh, there's a cap of 750 slot machines and 30 to 40 table games. So it's maybe about one half to one third the size of our bigger casinos in the Philadelphia area and Pittsburgh area. But to walk in and take a look, you see um, high ceilings and uh, lots of slot machines, lots of table games, a couple of very nice restaurants and a, and a beautiful kind of television wall for viewing sports in their FanDuel sports books. So the people I talked to, the patrons I talked to who were there were, were very happy with the place. None of them seemed to feel like it was less than what they wanted in a casino. And to many of them, they actually like the size. I think for some people, especially if you're not like a big city person uh, and, and like a big gambler and you walk into some of the uh, casinos, you can feel a little lost or intimidated. And they kind of like the more intimate sense here. Okay. From the COVID standpoint, it's a little hard to compare these because – uh, this is a brand new place. You know, it's starting out from scratch and they could really do things uh, state of the art instead of having to rejigger on the fly like the other casinos. So they're very proud of the uh, not just the basic sanitary wipes and masking requirements and everything that everybody's doing, but the, the amount of plexiglass is so extensive and the air filtration system. I heard people comment on you know that it feels really clean and the place looks really clean and there seems to be uh, a lot of cleanup going on and so none of the people or patrons i talked to employees really felt that worried about the COVID. but i think part of that is the extent to which we're talking about a gambling industry we're talking about people who are risk takers by their nature and and the hardcore gamblers are the ones coming back first to use these places the ones I'm not able to interview the ones sitting at home who aren't there, and I guess right. there are a number of people like that. Yeah, and in the in the article that you uh, that you wrote about your experience at the casino on the opening day, that one really interesting thing that that you included in there was the note about how the slot machines have sensors that when someone gets up from the machine, the cleaning staff is basically notified that uh, someone's gotten up and it's a good time to come clean the machine before the next person sits down. I don't know if, if that's been used anywhere else or if that's just a state-of-the-art thing that they're doing because it's a new casino, but that was something I, I hadn't heard of uh, anywhere else prior to reading it in your article. Yeah, well, I think both of those points are true. If I understand the folks from Cordish and uh, the live brand correctly is that nobody else is, has, has 
is doing it. And the reason they're able to do it is because they are brand new. And so it was something they could order through their uh, suppliers, the suppliers of the slot machines and the hardware within Aristocrat. Um, And they, they could set it up that way. Now they did not actually, they're still, they say they're still testing that system out to make sure it's going to work absolutely right. So they did not have it in use in the first day, but they expect to start it this week mm-hmm. where you're playing a slot machine and you get up and that sends uh, some kind of buzzer or signal to the cleaning staff. Hey, there's uh, there's something new to, uh, to wipe down uh, before someone else sits down. And a lot of people would certainly appreciate that. Yeah. Okay, Gary, I think you're pretty much, uh, as a Jersey guy, I was a little bit confused about what the heck a mini casino is, but I think you've explained that well, and you kind of sold me on it. I think, I wonder if uh, New Jersey should be thinking about that, too. But there's another aspect of Pennsylvania that, I don't know if this is unique, but it's certainly unusual, and just the name of it blows my mind, Um, truck stop gambling. Uh, What is truck stop gambling? Why does Pennsylvania have it? Uh, Who wins and who loses? What's going on with that? Well, this is sort of part of the uh, smorgasbord, the smorgasbord of buffet of things we threw against. So we, we just turned over the buffet table of gambling uh, back in late 2017, and whatever fell to the ground in the right way, we were going to adopt. And one uh, that has gotten pretty small attention to the rest, and there, there, there's good reason for that, is the the truck stop VGT gambling. If if you meet certain conditions. And this is mostly rural areas and uh, uh, w- the places you drive across on I- Interstate 80 or, or Interstate 70 or, or some of the big highways usually where you'll you'll pass by some exit or intersection where there's a pilot uh, station or whatever, where it, you see all the trucks there that park overnight or, and all, and there's a bunch of diesel stations and there's a convenience store inside and you can walk in and buy some different paraphernalia uh, as well. These kinds of places that meet certain criteria, they can have up to five VGT machines. So they're similar, similar for all intents and purposes to slot machine. They can have no more than five. And uh, we've got about 40 of these locations around the state right now. Um, and people who live in cities wouldn't even know they exist unless you get in your car and happen to travel cross country. Um, and I guess it's just a way, another form of convenience gambling that, that puts uh, some more revenue back into the state's coffers, which is really what our gambling is all about in Pennsylvania for the most part, why we created it. Um, but it's not going to be big. It's gonna, you know, so there's like 200 of these machines now. It might grow to from 40 sites to 100, probably won't get much bigger than that, so maybe 500 machines. Uh, it's just one more sort of a cookie in the in the cookie box there for Pennsylvania. And if, if you live out in the boonies and you're an hour or two away from a casino and you don't really like driving into the city to a casino, it's something you might do to pass the time. Or if you're a trucker or someone else passing by on your way across the country taking a little break, you might stop there, you know, for a half hour and dump 20 bucks in the machine or something like that. 
it's not a big deal, and I don't see many other states wanting to adopt that particular thing. Yeah, I think now I'm understanding it. I'm picturing uh, the trucker pulls into the pilot parking lot, and he walks into the convenience store, and somebody basically picks him up, uh, turns him upside down, shakes him a little bit, and all the coins <laughs> are flying out go into the uh, state treasury go. of Pennsylvania. All right, that makes some sense. There you go. It's it's kind of an alternative to uh, when you stop in there at the convenience store, an alternative to, to buying that scratch-off ticket that you're almost certain to lose. It's uh, just a maybe a more fun version of that, perhaps. Exactly. And we've, of course, got all these illegal places or gray area places around the state that are closer to the cities in many cases where you walk into, um, you know, a convenience store or uh, some kind of outlet uh, that's also selling lock- lottery tickets or a bar. And you'll see certain types of machines there that are not technically supposed to pay out prizes in the way of cash to people who play them. Um, but many of them do. And that's a whole separate legal issue that is a big one going on in the state right now. And there are thousands of those machines operating either illegally in a, or in a gray area right now, as opposed to the hundreds that are in the truck stops. Right. All right. Well, let's talk a little uh, football, Gary. Uh, we, we might have hoped to ask you a question about the Steelers' big Thanksgiving night game against Baltimore. But due to Ravens' COVID issues, there's just enough uncertainty there that it, it probably isn't worth drilling down on that specific matchup right now. So let me ask you instead about the Steelers' season as a whole. They're 10-0, and 0, and uh, at Foxbet in Pennsylvania, they're now plus 800 to finish 16-0. and 0. That's the best price I'm seeing in the state. Uh, that would mean they'd need better than an 11% chance of pulling it off to make that good value. Looking at the rest of their schedule... What do you think? Is plus 800 worth it? And and if not, what number do you think would be plus EV? First, I'll, I'll talk about the historical context instead of the schedule, because the historical sure. context kind of matches up pretty well. Um, there have been, over the past 50 years, sort of like the Super Bowl era, there have been 16 teams that started out 10-0. and 0. Of those, two ended the se- regular season undefeated, the uh, the famous 72 Dolphins and and then the 2007 Patriots. Uh, So that was a one right there. That's one out of eight historically who got this far, finished the season undefeated. So kind of matches up with eight to one odds. And so if you feel like it, you know, bet it's neither good or bad, you know, see what happens. Want to put the house on it. Schedule-wise, it's a little tougher because they've got six teams left, two of which should be cakewalks uh, against the Washington football team and a Bengals team missing its quarterback. But then there are four games against teams with winning records, fighting for playoff spots, two of those at home, uh, the Ravens this week, um, and then the the Colts later in the season, and then two on the road uh, at the Bills, a tough game, and then finishing the season at the Browns. So trying to beat those four teams all in a row, you know, that's pretty hard. Of course, yeah. it's hard to get to 10-0 in the first place, but it would be impressive, I would think, just to win two of those four against the good teams. And then if you beat the two cupcakes and you finish 14-2, that's a nice accomplishment. If you win three of the four against the tough teams, that's very impressive. You know, and finish 15-1. To beat all four, finish 16-0, to me, that would be amazing. But then 8-1 to one odds suggest it should be amazing. And so I'm not going to tell anyone do it or don't. The odds may be kind of match up right, though, you know, seems to me. Right. Yeah. You know, so I guess when you explain it that way, if you take the two cupcakes as automatic wins, which they aren't, but close enough, 
uh, it's sort of a it's a sort of a four game parlay if you consider the others all somewhat close to to coin flips. In which case, eight to one is not really good. Eight to one would be good if you could still get it after they beat the Ravens. If they beat the Ravens, then a three game parlay, eight to one, that's about right. But uh, yeah, sounds like the hmm. sports books have still uh, kind of got the edge here on you if if you try to. They've got one. the edge. Right. They yeah. always do. <laughs> the Steelers, you know, will be favored, right. uh, I think, in at least three of those games, but by less than a touchdown in those three. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's sort of like better than just even even in, in their favor, but uh, but very challenging. Yeah. All right. Now, you know, Gary, uh, Pennsylvania taxpayers such as yourself, uh, I think, have to be enjoying Ohio's uh, struggling efforts to legalize, regulate and maybe most importantly, tax sports betting. Uh, kind of as much as New Jersey residents appreciate uh, even more neighbors from New York crossing into that state to pad uh, our treasury as well. Um, you know, it turns out that while there is sports betting in, in New York State, it uh, turns out a lot of New York City residents don't really want to make a 200-mile round-trip schlep up to the Catskills uh, just to make a bet when they can go right across the Hudson River and, and do it in New Jersey. So um, I'm wondering, and I, I don't see New York adding mobile sports betting maybe for years, but uh, I'm wondering about any odds on how quickly Ohio, well, I mean, it's too late for quickly, isn't it, at this point, but, uh, you know, about yeah. when possibly Ohio might legalize uh, sports betting. I don't have a good crystal ball on that. I, I, you know, I'm not close enough to fall in that sense. All, uh, the best I'm able to say is they are such a strange anomaly right now. If If you look at the large Midwestern states that that you might or, or mid-Atlantic states you would normally lump Ohio in based on population and demographics and the number of large cities and professional athletic teams and all. You know, Ohio fits right in there with Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Illinois, which have all adopted sports betting and and now all adopted the, the mobile component of it. And seeing the virtues revenue-wise, and you think – more than ever, that revenue factor should be um, coming into play in this COVID year. And, and so the, the reason it doesn't fit in doesn't make any sense to me. And then it's even more strange you think, well, okay, well, Ohio's a little bit more conservative, really, than, than Pennsylvania, Michigan, Illinois. You know, it's more Republican than Democratic. Uh, conservative Republicans uh, are more likely to cite family values and be a little bit more resistant to um, to legalize gambling, maybe. But then you look at uh, states like Indiana and uh, Iowa uh, that sort of fit into that conservative Republican mode, and they've embraced, you know, as much as anyone over the past year or two now, uh, the whole concept of sports betting and online betting and uh, potentially future online casino betting. And so I can't say what kind of mystery is behind just why Ohio has been resistant up to now, but they certainly are talking about it now. And if, and if they're ever going to have motivation to do it, it would be right now. So one would expect, expect when I read about the proposals there, I don't see a lot of really sharp differences between the proposals uh, that are bandied about in the legislature. There's enough common ground there to think they've got to get it done. So that my bet would be they, they will, but I, 
I don't have any good crystal ball to back that up. Well, I'll tell you what they need to do. Some Ohio lobbyist uh, who is in favor of this, just hire Ed Rendell for a week, uh, the former Pennsylvania governor. You know, <laughs> 15 years ago, he came out and he said, look, I hate gambling. I wish it was illegal. I wish nobody could do it. I don't want anyone ever to gamble. They're going to lose their house. There's so many bad things about it. So he's aligning themselves with the people who don't like the idea of legalizing gambling. And he's saying, however, a billion dollars a year is being spent in, in Atlantic City by Pennsylvanians. So it's already happening. The, our neighboring state, you know, who wants to, who in Pennsylvania wants New Jersey to, to make out on them, right? And so that won the right. day. It was like, well, that's a good point. You know, we're with me. Well, I don't like gambling either, but uh, we need to do it for these reasons. And like you say, the economy and everything else. So uh, I, I tell you, Rendell's pretty uh, persuasive. He could do that in a week. Yeah. I We don't have, just to your point about uh, New York is crossing into New Jersey, we don't have quite that situation here along the Pennsylvania-Ohio border. There's no giant metropolitan area where you uh, of people crossing a bridge or taking a train you know mm. real easily just to get across the border and do it but but the point there is that ohioans aren't doing it anyway when it comes to sports betting they're just doing it in the underground way mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, where it was done in new jersey beforehand and pennsylvania before legalization all that yeah. you know there's no doubt a lot of bookies uh living the the good life in ohio and, and and the smart younger people are, are using their offshore uh, accounts uh, uh, on the computer or phone. Uh, so it's it's all going on. So it's not like somebody mm-hmm. is preventing sports betting from taking place. They're just giving up uh, the potential windfall that the, the state could generate by, by taking it out of the black market. Yeah, that, that almost sounded like the Rendell-esque speech that needs to be given to Ohio. Maybe you're the man to give yeah, it, Gary. That's it. I, I'm sold. <laughs> yeah, I'm not running for governor or anything. But, <laughs> I guess uh... not. All right. Well, uh, it has been great talking to you, Gary, as always. Uh, thanks so much for, for joining us on the podcast. And, uh, of course, uh, enjoy your Thanksgiving and good luck to your Steelers on Thursday night. Oh, thanks. You guys, too. Enjoy. Bye now. All right. Thanks, Gary. Two men. Two men. $10,000. Will they run it up or blow it all? It's time to check in on the Gamble On bankroll. We'll get to the Fast Five shortly, much as I'd like to skip it entirely this week. Uh, but first, let's update our shared bankroll. And I'm sad to report that the losing streak is now up to four weeks in a row. Last podcast, uh, the, before this one, I broke even while John went over, and this time it's my turn to drag us down. Uh, John broke just about even on his two college football games. Florida didn't cover, but Indiana did, so we lost a small vig of $7, uh, but my bets both lost. Kyler Murray didn't come close to that 58-and-a-half-yard rushing prop. He had by far his worst rushing game of the season, just 15 yards, and my Eagles Chiefs money line parlay flopped because the Eagles lost. Um, but if I'm taking a positive from it, the parlay effort actually saved us money because I was thinking of betting the Eagles alone at plus 160, and I probably would have wagered $100 on that bet. But by adding the Chiefs and getting the odds up to 247, I reduced the wager to $60. Uh, how's that for a glass half full view? <laughs> <laughs> Am I pushing it? <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. In any case, we lost $163 on the week. We're now down by $662. We still have $771 on hold in futures. So we have $8,567 available to bet with. And I'm up first. And even though it's a big football week, 
No football bets from me. Uh, when we recap the Fast Five, you'll know why I need a mini, <laughs> mini vacation uh, from that. Instead, I start with an NBA future. The over-under win totals were released last week based on a 72-game schedule. And the one I like the most is Dallas Mavericks over 42 and a half wins. Uh, so that means they have to go 43 and 29 or better if indeed 72 games are played. Last season, they went 43 and 32. So that means only an incremental improvement is needed. And if Luka Doncic stays healthy, his continued growth should take care of that all by itself. But on top of that, I think Josh Richardson will be a good acquisition for them. He didn't fit well in Philly, but I think he helps in Dallas. And more importantly, some of their division rivals who they'll play frequently, are moving backwards. The Rockets are a mess of stars wanting out. The Spurs aren't getting better at this point. New Orleans lost Drew Holiday. So I like over 42.5 for the Mavs. And as it's a bet that won't grade for like another eight months, it feels like it's just too low stakes to put only $110 on it and, and wait eight months to find out. Uh, but then again, my confidence is a bit too shaken at the moment to go all the way up to $220. So let's split the difference. $165 to win $150. Uh, yeah, uh, I mentioned, I guess it was a couple of weeks ago, I think for a $10,000 bankroll over the course of a year or more, I think a loss of about $500 is about par. So our small profits that we had for a while were solid. And the amusing week where we somehow wound up on exactly zero was <laughs> right. fine, too. Uh, minus 662. I mean, we're getting beat by some coin flips, parakeets, monkeys, and turtles whose pick is made by which lettuce pile they choose at lunch. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> so, um, And I can't resist mentioning uh, my Bengals under five and a half wins looks mm -hmm. uh, pretty damn good. It so. does. It does. Uh, I, wish, I wish you'd put more than that. This is what I was just saying about the uh, the size of a, a futures bet. Now, now that we know which one the way that one is trending i wish you'd put yeah. more than 110 on it but a win is a win if, if yeah although if it actually it tur that turned out to be a mistake uh, andy dalton has washed up and that's why they were terrible last year and burrow is better than i expected and so they could have easily gone over so we're gonna win but we're gonna be lucky to do it yeah uh so now i'll do an nba futures bet before the season starts but not until i put the work in okay so after a respectable pair of ncaa picks for the split i'll go with clemson minus 24 and a half points over pittsburgh 107 to win 100 on DraftKings. uh not so dissimilar to last week's florida pick where it took the gators 29 minutes to grab a lead against vanderbilt at minus 31 and a half points yet they had life in the second half on the cover so clemson is much more bloodthirsty you know they know the football playoff rankings drill much better uh the tigers gave away a game at notre dame in overtime without quarterback trevor lawrence the irish beat Pittsburgh by 39 points. Trevor Lawrence is back, and his backup also is a, a QB stud anyway. So I love this pick, but yeah, mediocre recent picks have me worry of chasing to catch up. So that's why I'm sticking to the uh, 107 to 100. Okay. Um, and I'll do a boxing bet here. A very good heavyweight fight in London on Saturday. Undefeated prospects meeting uh, Daniel Dubois, who looks like a future champ to me, versus Joe Joyce, who's big and can punch but is slow as hell. Uh, Dubois is a minus 400 favorite. I actually don't dislike that price, but is it worth risking $100 for our bankroll to win 25 bucks or risking 200 to win 50? Yeah, I don't know. So instead, I will make the bet a little harder to win and go Dubois by KO, which is priced at minus 180. We're risking $90 to win 50. Joyce seems to have a good chin, but if Dubois lands as hard and as clean as I expect him to, 12 rounds is a lot to get through. So uh, let's go with the KO bet there. All right. Uh, there's no golf this weekend, so I'll make another college football play. 
LSU plus 14 and a half against Texas A&M, although it's 114 to win 100 as I pay for the hook. Uh, you know, the Aggies have had a couple of weeks off to sit around and listen to all the campus chatter that has them with a great shot at the playoffs, but they just keep winning. I don't trust teams that don't have a history in such rarefied air. I think they're uh, they're nervous, they're tentative, and uh, LSU gets close to winning this game. All right. And we wrap things up now with the Fast Five, which can't go fast enough for me. Uh, uh-huh. I got bageled last week, to borrow a term from tennis. I put up the atrocious 0-5, and, and uh, there's no need to go into any details of which games were close and which weren't. Uh, several of the lines actually moved in my favor by game time, but it didn't matter. I was still on the wrong side of all of them. And here's a fun fact. I had three games in my I like them, but they don't quite make the cut pile. And all three of those would have lost too. I was uh, oh, oh and eight on my uh, eight favorite picks of the week. Uh, so Fade Raskin is officially back on. Uh, John had a subpar week himself, but it was much better than mine as he went two and three, winning both of the games that went to OT with the Titans and Colts, although Titans was a win at plus six and a half, no matter what happened in OT. Uh, and he lost with the Chargers on a Jets back door with the Dolphins and with my inept Eagles. So John is now five and a half games ahead of me. He's 30, 24 and one. I'm 25 and 30. Six weeks to go. The math is pretty clear. Any week where I don't make up a game in the standings is a bad week for me. And uh, John, you're up first. And and by the way, I'll note we're using the FanDuel lines as of Tuesday afternoon since Super Contest lines were not posted in time for this recording. So, okay, what you got, John? Uh, Well, Eric, you ripped the... uh... The emotional Band-Aid off right there. I got to give you credit. Uh, good on you. Uh, no need to mention that Lions pick. I think that was smart. Oh, sorry. Did I mention that? I guess I did. Um, so my only bad play was the Dolphins. And even that bet was still alive in the final two minutes. Uh, it was a poor choice and, uh, you know, had a chance to we had both had a chance to get lucky there, but we didn't uh, and we didn't deserve it. So let's see. Um, Cardinals minus two and a half over the Patriots. Um, the one confusion with the Patriots is that win over the Ravens, who in reality are not that good. And Bill Belichick knows how to make Lamar Jackson mortal. Uh, I don't think he does that to Kyler Murray. Uh, next up is Jaguars plus six and a half over the Browns. Now, remember my mantra of any time a typically weak franchise can lose a game and still feel good about themselves, they usually do. Hello, Cleveland. Uh, it's needed nine gift-wrapped Carson Wentz points last week <laughs> to uh, cover against the hapless Eagles. Uh, Jaguars maybe win and under. Uh, but I can win with a high-scoring six-point loss here, too, so I feel good. Uh, Bills minus five-and-a-half against the Chargers. Uh, cross-country holiday week trip for the bumbling Chargers? That spells trouble. The Bills do tend to play down to the level of many opponents, but I think they escaped that finally this time. They're getting there on the long road. Uh, then I got Rams minus seven-and-a-half over 49ers. Only some curious play calling decisions in the second half by the Rams kept them from dominating the Buccaneers on Monday. Uh, I know I'd like to fix that. I got them today at plus 1,200 to win the Super Bowl. Probably should have put it on the uh, on the bankroll. But if they win this one, I'll, I'll take the shorter odds and still be happy about it. They can do it. Uh, and then Chiefs minus three over Buccaneers. Uh, see previous pick. Andy Reid sees what we all see. Tom Brady cannot complete a pass of more than 20 yards. And uh, the Chiefs are going to make him pay. I... I Full caveat, going back to last year's playoffs, I have no clue what I'm talking about when the Chiefs games. I cannot get this team right. So uh, that's my weakest pick. All right. Uh, So I I guess I have what I would term some bad news for you, John, is that uh, we agree on two of these picks. Uh, That's uh, (laughs) probably not what you wanted to hear. And strategically for me, uh, it's it's not great in that Mm. uh, it reduces to 
uh, to three games the number that I could potentially gain on you this week. But it's a little early, I think, a uh, little, little far away from the finish line for me to be uh, playing purely strategically. So I'm going to I'm going to stick with my five picks here, uh, even though two of them will will be pushes for us in our contest. Uh, I'm picking all favorites this week. I'm such a square. Uh, but uh, ho- hopefully it'll be one of those weeks where the favorites do well. And uh, just like you. No Thanksgiving Day games uh, on my mm. slate. I don't. I don't have a great read on any of those three games. Uh, mm. So I'm going to start with the Raiders minus three at Atlanta. Had the Raiders beaten the Chiefs last week, this could have been a letdown game. But they lost, so this game is critical in their push for a playoff spot. They're a good team, a well-coached team. Derek Carr is playing better than he has in a few years. I think they can cover a field goal on the road against a Falcons team with no motivation. Uh, Next, one of our picks that we have in common. Uh, I'm surprised the Bills are only minus five and a half against the Chargers. Same thoughts as you. You know, West Coast team traveling east. Winter weather starting to set in. Bills off a bye. We know they're a good team. They should be hungry after the Hale Murray uh, and the Chargers. Well, this ain't the Jets they're playing. So uh, I think Buffalo wins by double digits here. Um, I've got another five and a half point favorite, the Giants at Cincinnati. This isn't really a vote of confidence in the Giants. It's just that Joe Burrow was about the only good thing the Bengals had going for him. And now he's done. And uh, I did a bunch of research on just how bad Ryan Finley has been. And then right before we started recording, I saw that instead Brandon Allen will be starting. Uh, I don't even know if I know who Brandon Allen is. I see he played for the Broncos a little bit at some point. I just have to trust that he's not an NFL starter level quarterback and the Giants will win this one handily. Um, My third straight five and a half point favorite. uh, I'm going with the Saints at Denver. On the one hand, Denver has a good defense, and they have a full game of tape now on Taysom Hill. I could see them having success against him. On the other hand, Sean Payton is a smart coach, and he'll mix things up with Hill. Uh, And and the Saints still have Alvin Kamara and a now healthy-looking Michael Thomas. They've won their last three by 15, 14, and 35 points. They're winning and covering. I think they do it again in Denver. And that leads to my last pick, a team that's been winning but not necessarily covering, the best team in football, or at least the best offense in football, maybe the best overall team, our second shared pick, the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, they're in Tampa, and I think the line is a half point or a point too low here at minus three. The Chiefs are going to score points. I think they'll score enough to cover that. And if they push, well, for me, a push feels like a win these days. So I'm <laughs> <laughs> percentage-wise, you're actually right. <laughs> All right. Uh, that will do it for this episode of Gamble On. Thanks to everybody out there for listening. And thanks again to our guest, Gary Rothstein. You can find me on Twitter at Eric Raskin and John at Bergen Brennan and follow U.S. Bets at U.S. underscore bets. Go to usbets.com for all the latest news and analysis from the world of gambling and subscribe to this podcast on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. And with that, John, please take us out. I'm going to try some words of advice for two generations here. Uh, For people of a certain age, like me, who every Thanksgiving usually meet up with family members and friends we don't get to see very often, watch a football game or two together, and occasionally even engage in a light conversation, this year may seem like a lost cause if you're not doing that. My recommendation, uh, Zoom for fun. People use it for work, but you can just as easily have a nice pregame visual chat with somebody, uh, maybe resume a little bit at halftime, and then settle up all wagers in a postgame discussion. Uh, It's fun. It's relaxing. It's safe, so go for that. And for those who would be more inclined to incessantly text a pal all day, even if you were all in the same household as your family, you may feel as if you're not missing anything this year. But you are, uh, and you have been. 
So next year, put the phone away on Turkey Day. Get to know your flesh and blood a little better. At some point in your life, you'll be glad you did. So with that dual suggestions of advice, with that, until next time, gamble on everybody and enjoy your turkey.